This is Paul. This is Caroline. And tonight we're going to talk about the fourth episode of the fifth season of NBC's This Is Us. This one was called Honestly. Honestly. Honestly, Mabel. (laughs) Do you agree with the assessment that anytime someone says honestly or to be honest or anything derivative of that, that they're actually about to tell you a lie? I don't know if that's like a hard and fast rule to live your life by. Do you? No, because I don't think for my own self... I don't think I'd do that. I I think there's times when I say, can I be honest or something like that? And I'm really going to be blunt. (laughs) I'm not going to tell a lie. Yeah, it's more like a marker of an opinion. Like someone could have been retelling facts up until that point, but then they're going to lay out, you know, their two cents on the thing. It does feel like, though, that a little kid tends to use it like that. When they're like, honest, I didn't do it, honest. Like when they say it like that, then that's like, it's a big fat lie. They totally did it. Maybe it changes over time. Maybe it's person to person. I don't know. I think it is person to person. I think that's part of it. Those of you who say honestly and then you lie, everybody knows. You should quit. You've been outed. (laughs) You should quit. (laughs) So this week, let's dive in with Kevin. This was basically Kevin's episode, even though his story is start and finish. It, It like goes straight through. There's nothing left over for us to ponder. They spent all the flashbacks on Kevin. We have two sets of flashbacks. We have baby and teen. I think we can sum those up, right, without needing to dive into scene by scene. Absolutely. I mean, this is a tried and true structure that This Is Us has used throughout the years where they set up parallel storylines in different times. So we had, you know, the struggle of getting baby Kevin to sleep through the night and and how both Jack and Rebecca instinctually react to him versus teenage football Kevin and him struggling through that and how they differ, Jack and Rebecca. Yeah. And then now Kevin. There's no parents there. There's really no one there. There's not even Madison in this entire episode. And he just has to persevere by himself. The uh, nugget that we get out of the past there is that there is value in having Randall around And he's the one that taught him the color coding to teach him how to remember stuff. So that may come in handy later when we're trying to reevaluate how we feel about Randall is you you wouldn't have your system for memorizing your lines if you didn't have Randall. And so when you're saying how we feel about Randall, you mean in in terms of how Kevin feels about Randall, because because we it does keep being like this little tiny. It's like the music in the background of Kevin dealing with the fact that he's fighting with his brother. Like, it's not something we're talking about all the time, but it's just always kind of the elephant in the room. And so the fact that, you know, here is an episode that gives you a vignette of Randall being extremely helpful to Kevin and Kevin being a jerk to Randall. I mean, mocking his color coding system and all that stuff. It was a ton of work that he did and, and good on him for having such a cool system. But I could see where they would clash like super hard. What does he call him? Dork or nerd or something like that? Yeah, To get his, like his uh, attention, to get him to show him the card system in the first place? Yeah. We both have siblings and, you know, calling each other dork, nerd or something like that. I mean, it's not like this big stinger or something, you know? I mean, I don't think we should <laughs> take it like that. Right. It's just... Where's my pearls? Exactly. It's just like, hey. <laughs> right? You dork. That's how I kind of say it. <laughs> Audio. Oh, good. Yeah. Why did he say that? So let's talk for just a second about that the teen and the baby versions of Jack and Rebecca and how Jack 
really always stood his ground that this is something that Kevin can do. He really believes in him versus Rebecca, who feels like she wants to give him an out every time. Jack indicated that he'd played at Rebecca's way several times by the time they were teenagers and ready for football. You know, he gave the guitar idea, the Boy Scout idea. She had pretty flimsy comebacks, but he he was like, okay, you had your shot. I think he needs to try harder now. Do you more relate to Jack's way or Rebecca's way, either as a parent or as a kid having been parented? Huh... I would say Rebecca both ways, actually. Interesting that you give all you're characterizing her as like flimsy excuses and stuff like that, but you totally relate. Uh, I, I I just I don't know that I've ever dug my feet in and be like, this is what we're doing with the kids. You can like it or lump it. I've, I don't think I've ever done that. What about with your own self? Are you somebody to stick with something, or are you like you know if it just doesn't suit you, do you just like kind of move on? The thing is, I can do it really half-assed for a long time. I think we have enough guitars and drums and, and robots around here for you to, to know <laughs> that I I managed to milk an interest for as long as I can, decades if necessary. I bet you're still waiting for a, to come home and find a Mustang in the, in the driveway one oh, day. No. <laughs> I, I'm a total opposite. I'm definitely a jack. I was 100% raised and am the same type of parent where if you make a commitment to something, you're 100% expected to finish it out. I was like the third grader calling my fellow softball players saying like, do not miss another practice, <laughs> which still kind of cracks me up because even looking back, I'm like patting that little girl on the head like, look at you, little eight-year-old, telling these other eight-year-olds to like get their shit together and get to practice because it, it, we had to forfeit because people weren't showing up. Like, and I had had enough of this. <laughs> I mean, you make a commitment. I mean, you fucking show up, ladies. Yeah, I, I've always been raised that way. And definitely I've been like that with our kids. I think that there's a certain point when there could be like a natural break, you know, once you get your arrow of light, if you don't want to continue, that's fine. But you've like, com you know, you've completed your commitment. I could see little eight-year-old Caroline like throwing the orange drink on the floor. Like, listen up, bitches. Uh, yeah. Like, you don't even know. <laughs> You have to see my little tiny hands on my little tiny hips being like, that is enough. Like, yeah, I can't. If you make a commitment, you're absolutely following through. There's things that I did for so many years, like like piano, that I can't play piano. But I took piano lessons for years, years. I cannot play piano. If you ask me to sit down and tell you and just do anything, I cannot. I can't play you anything, which is like the wildest thing ever. But did I continue them? Yes, I did. Because that was how I was raised. So you know? on our next Goonies adventure, you are not the one playing no, the organ. No, I can't read sheet music for shit, Paul. Someone should have stopped and thought to teach me how to read the music. Huh. That was like the key to the whole thing. They and skipped like, that step. Huh? I never really got it. No. Would you just like, just like stroke the keys with your hands? No, just... how it started was that. The keys at first, I labeled them with tape, like scotch tape, and I like wrote the letters on the keys, the right? Notes. And then I would like use like a guide to like write the letters on my freaking thing, on my key, on my sheet music. And so then I would just match it up. But like I never, ever learned to read the sheet music, ever. I even went all the way through band. I played flute all the way through eighth grade, like never learned sheet music ever. That makes no sense. I don't. I still. I don't know it now. You could like put a whole bunch of stuff in front of me and be like, "I never saw it a day in my life." <laughs> You're like F G 
H I. <laughs> exactly. It's just not my talent. But the point was that I stuck with it. You know, my parents wanted us to have like a background in music as well as sports. And I mean, I played all different sports and I and I and I played multiple instruments. I can't play anything now. Huh. You're laughing at me, but yeah. you, how well do you play? Oh. For a guy who's played 35 years of his life, you think he'd be like kind of kick ass. That's true. I was really relating to Rebecca and, and Jack when it came to the baby scenes because I can definitely remember we had three babies at the exact same time and one one baby was the baby that wanted to stay up all night party till the break of dawn and she still does though that's the joke of it like she, 3 a.m. she's still up there playing music that is funny she does not like to get up I, I had to get her up at like 1 o'clock the other day I know she's turning 18 now so we're <laughs> Whatever. She's got her own life going on. But the thing is, is that I can remember sitting outside her room when she was crying. Do you remember that? Like we had to wait her out. Yeah. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. We were in the rec room and we had our backs up against the wall by the stairs. I just remember being so it being so hard and, and not even really like knowing like what are we even trying to do? Like break a baby, <laughs> like break her spirit, you know? <laughs> yeah, well. We didn't have any moments like uh, Jack and, and Rebecca with jumping at each other to keep each other from, from going. It was just more like a, a mental connection that we weren't going to break, I think. We didn't. You're, that's true. So then when it came to that teenage part where she's like, I'm going to go tell him it's fine to quit. I did not relate to that at all. Like, I don't even know what that is. You don't even know what that is? No. Like, what, like you're going to go seek out your kid to tell him to quit something? That feels so weird. If your kid comes to you and is like, Mom, I want to talk about this. I want to quit. I think it's weird to go seek them out and tell uh, them to quit something. I'm like, I think point. that that's kind of weird. That is a good point. I don't know where moms are always 100% on board with football in the first place. Do we have any idea of whether or not Rebecca was all in on football or was she not? You know, that really wasn't the focus at all. And I mean, now playing football in general has changed a lot in the last decade. I mean, surely when we were in high school, I don't remember it ever being a concern. Like everyone's like, yeah, play football, play soccer, play whatever you want, you know. But now there's like all the safety concerns. Yeah that are really completely different than when we were young. So, you know, Kevin is closer to us in age to the teenage version. And so, I, you know, a safety I don't think would have been Rebecca's concern. I, she never seemed to be worried about that. It was just more like if it's too hard for him, he shouldn't have to do it. You know, this is supposed to be fun. And if it's not fun, he shouldn't have to do it. Moms. No, not moms. I just told you. <laughs> What the frig? I just said that I don't relate at all. It, was your mom like that? Was she like, fine, quit? Like she would have like paid your registration, done everything and told you to just quit? Um, My mom would never. For yearbook, she was cool with that. But band, probably not. Band was, I think they wanted me to stick with band. Didn't but... you play other sports though? When, didn't you have Sports? When you were younger. Yeah. But the, I mean, those were the years when it was like, oh, it's just for fun. By the time you're in high school, though, the fun part is yeah. not a yeah. factor. Yeah. So then how does this relate to his now storyline? He's got a difficult director, a director that does not give him anything to go by. It's it's interesting working with people like that. I don't know if you had anybody in your experience as an athlete, but in the band world, where you're dealing with that kind of artistic interpretation of whether or not if you're playing something correctly is only part of the deal. There's 
how you're playing it, right? And that can be assessed. You're looking for that qualitative kind of, you're not just hitting the notes, but how you're hitting the notes kind of thing, right? And this guy's not giving him anything. In that artistic setting, I found, at least when I was a kid, that eventually, although you hate that guy right away, you end up wanting to please that guy more than you can express to anybody. And everybody else already kind of knows it because they feel the same way. Do you have anything, any experience in your life like that? Coaches, for the most part, would, you know, correct things. And I mean, there is obviously like, did the ball go into the glove or didn't it? To your point, like, did the other person have to like run to catch it or something like that? You know, then like, yeah, you didn't do it very well. But at the same time, I think that like in the moment, like in a game or in something like that, where you are like all this like muscles and everything are pumping, bodies don't always do like exactly what you want them to do. And I know music and art are are kind of the same, like it might not come out exactly how you intended. But for the most part, I mean, I always had coaches that were pretty, it was pretty cut and dry. Like you either did it or didn't do it. You know, there wasn't so much interpreting. Like you either hit the ball or you didn't hit the ball, you know? Yeah, this is different. This is more like... The creativity part, I think you're so right. How he says, I didn't know you needed an attaboy kind of thing. That's because he's used to working the other direction, probably. Although he wasn't shy about heaping praise on Jamie Chung. What? Okay, so what do you think the whole point of that even was? Do you think that it was a situation where, you know, he was trying to get a performance out of, of Kevin and the right way he thought to do that was to just... Let's go with that. Like the theory being that he thinks Kevin is probably a better actor than Eva, right? Or Ava. Am I, who, who, Jamie Chung. <laughs> and this is the way he has chosen to motivate him. Whereas Jamie Chung, he, he's like really throwing a lot of positive reinforcement on there. Maybe because he thinks she's not quite as good as he is. What do you think about that? I, I, I'm honestly not certain. I mean, I, I felt like I was watching this and I was frustrated for Kevin. I mean, every time he would say two words, he was being interrupted. I don't have any experience in theater. I don't have any experience with acting. And so I'm not sure if was he trying to elicit anger out of Kevin so that he would give like a more emotional performance wasn't sure i could see where you know kind of like picking at the actor you could get like a really visceral response out of them and make them deliver the lines in a different way but outside of that i wasn't really sure what kevin was supposed to be learning it reminds me of of band a little bit in that you can have 200 people all doing the same thing and then someone goes at the wrong moment right the director would stop the band everybody all 200 of us say the notes were supposed to be like boop boop like that. That was that was what we were supposed to hit, and somebody didn't do it. He would have the entire band practice burp, 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 over and over again for about five minutes for that one person to get it right. All the other 199 of us being like, you know, looking at that individual that made us do that. That's part of that leadership style, I think, you know, where it's offering mm, kind of a bizarre kind of reinforcement that still drives for most people, drives that, that, desire to please above that need to hate that person that that drew you out in in front of other peers. It would be extremely frustrating to me. I mean, in a situation like this, I couldn't tell you what he was supposed to be doing, what notes, if you will, he was supposed to be hitting. You know, when you're saying like that, these two notes burp, burp, that you're supposed to do, what were the two notes? He had like, him was keep he doing those be, two words. Was Remember, he supposed he to be louder? Was he supposed to be softer? Was it supposed yeah. to be 
more angry? Was it supposed to be what? Like, I wasn't sure what he was trying to get out of it. What a frustrating job acting must be is all I can think because unless you have a director that you really like sync with in terms of like, I understand your style, I get the tone, I understand what you're trying to convey. Holy smokes, if they don't communicate with you, I don't know what you're supposed to do. I don't know acting either. I mean, I kind of assume maybe he has more in mind for this role. Kevin was supposed to come with a character in mind, not just another version of Kevin. Does that make sense? Maybe so. I mean, it's true. The only parts that we heard him talk about the character was things like taking his shirt off, Mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. And so, you know, this was clearly going to be a job where he was going to have to dig deeper and really think a lot more about this character. I mean, I think overall, I mean, these three timelines, baby, teen, and now, all ultimately said that Kevin does rise to the occasion when he is called upon and does do what he what he's expected to do and and can do a great job and at the end to have that attaboy gift basket from foster felt like a neat bow on the each of those storylines here's where i think they could have done 50 percent better with the story Mm -hmm. noticeably absent from this episode even though the very last part of the episode Kevin's in her house. Madison. Madison was nowhere to be found. The ultimate question mark of where is his commitment level? We know he wants to be an actor for the rest of his life, but we don't know how well he's going to commit to Madison just yet. Having some of this perseverance theme apply to that aspect of his life, not just his professional life, would have been more satisfying. Not that this was not satisfying, but I think it would have been like part of that piece of Kevin that we that we've been hoping for you know for several seasons well so then do you feel like this is just the setup for that that like we have this story and it's going to have to flow into the next episode or the next couple episodes or whatever because we obviously with the Kate and Randall storylines that we have coming they they were both left on very much a cliffhanger and while we don't feel like Kevin's was maybe we're missing the cliffhanger angle. Like maybe you're right. Maybe it's the, the the elephant in the room in that case is Madison. Okay, guys. So you've seen he's risen to the occasion on these different things. Will he or won't he when it comes to his personal life? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just supposed to be even though they didn't like lead us quite there. Like I think we could probably draw that conclusion that that's where we're going. That is what I want for him. That's what I think he can do. That's what I think that they're building up to. But I would have hoped to have seen her, at least the background of her own house. Well, I think it would have been nice, too, if she came and naturally came into the place of Jack and Rebecca. Because there was no one in that now storyline playing the part of the Jack and Rebecca. It's almost like... Jack and Rebecca were just sort of like the good angel, bad angel on his shoulder kind of thing by the third one because his parents are like not in the picture. So I get that part. And maybe that's fine. Maybe that's like now that you're a grown adult, which do you choose, the Jack route or the Rebecca route? Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe that's fine. But I think it would have been logical to have Madison layer in there. Like, well, what happens when you now have this, you know, the spouse type role with you? Where does she come into play? So I think that that's something probably to look forward to as we move forward with their storyline. Will she be someone to say, you need to work harder, Kevin, keep practicing your lines? Or will she be someone who says, do you really have to do this? Why don't you just do commercials or something? <laughs> you know, like, no, truly, like, which, where will Madison fall? Where will he fall? Where will they all fall? <laughs> There's <laughs> right. so much falling. There's a lot of falling. We've watched AFV tonight, so we're used to seeing falling. <laughs> right. Okay, so let's get into Kate and Tobes, because they had an interesting 
journey with Ellie, we were really worried from the last episode about whether Ellie was going to be the birth mom of Haley, and we got off to a really precarious start when they were calling the baby Chloe. This was a very long way to draw out the the idea that the mom, Ellie, just didn't like the name Chloe because of some background with a bad Chloe in her Yeah, in her which don't we all history. have that though, Paul? Do you remember there was like different thing and I was like, I kind of like the name Landon. And then I was like, oh God, that one guy who's a nose picker in my math class. <laughs> so then I didn't want to pick Landon because uh, Landon's yeah. a nose picker name. Right. I think you had Landon on your list and I was like, sorry, Paul, nose uh, picker. Yeah, I had different names too that were like, no, nah, I remember a person like that and I don't want to think of that person every time. Yeah. I say the name. So that's relatable and we totally get that. But it was like a whole lot of drama then for, you know, getting to that point because we definitely all thought that Ellie was going to just be like, you know what? Well, yeah, I was coming up with this hypothesis that uh, since they made a point of drawing out this exposition about how the adoption process works and how Ellie can change your mind up until who knows when Uh, after the baby's even born. They made sure to say all that shit out loud so that we knew it. I was developing this idea that she would just get a bunch of medical bills paid. And when the baby came, she'd be like, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) Do you think there's any chance that that could still happen? Like, I mean, do you think that she we're going to get to the part here where she's going to give birth? And like, would like would they do that to these characters? I mean, we've had Jack die, so it's not like they won't do tragic things. But that's a really huge situation for them to get to, to have this baby not end up with them. Like, will we follow them that long? A lot of people will say, well, I mean, come on. I, whatever came to with the Cassidy storyline we had to follow with her we went with her for like this whole season blah 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 and nothing you know really came to pass with her now maybe she's gonna pop up nine months pregnant she totally could she probably will (laughs) because then that ends up Kevin with three babies (laughs) a la Jack though yeah yeah so that could totally still happen I'm not like letting go of that storyline but would they do that Paul do you think that they would lead us down the line would we get to know this Ellie character and then just have her We had Zoe too. We have we've had other characters that we've invested in, and they go away. Yeah, I mean that's all on the table, and it's not just Ellie. You know, freaks out. Ellie could have other things going on in her life. Ellie could have complications. Um, there could be a ton of things, as we know, that can happen between pregnancy and the birth. baby passing away is less upsetting, as weird as that sounds, than it would be for Ellie to get to the end of the line and change her mind. For whatever reason, that feels like. Us being set up and having the rug ripped from out of it under us more. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Because we would have felt like we were betrayed as like the audience this whole time. I think our theory that this is not going to be a straightforward adoption process for them and it's going to be some some other situation where they wind up with the baby that they actually adopt rather than a straightforward, you know, we'll be with you for the last six months of your pregnancy kind of thing or whatever this is looking like. I stand by that. I, I think that's going to be better television than just documentary-style yeah. ad- adoption process for Kate and Toby. They have to be careful about it, though, because, I mean, they are representing certain swaths of the population, right? So in this case, this is like a surrogacy-type situation, right? I, I guess, because this is, I guess— Similar simil- in process? M- more similar, I guess, where you know the birth mom and all that stuff than— than say um, Randall, right? Like this is a yes. this is a different process. Well, so what will they be saying about those birth moms if Ellie thinks out at the end? 
Like right. what? So do they have to? The writers have to be incredibly careful about not creating a storyline that has you know a section of the population say like, why did you just make us look like a bunch of assholes out here? Like we were so careful and, and worried about how they would handle Jack's blindness. It's like how are you going to handle this very delicate situation? And what percentage does it even happen where the birth mom decides she doesn't want to do it at the last second? Is that 50%? Is that 1%? I have no idea. So I don't know whose story they're telling. Are they telling the story of the parent of the couple who, who doesn't get the baby at the end? Are they telling the story of a sick mom who chose to have her baby and give it up for adoption versus abortion? Which story are they telling? Well, in this episode, they needed to bring up abortion so that Kate could have her admission with Toby later. Wow. Did that surprise you? I guess both ways, yes and no. We all thought something happened with Mark. Yes. We all thought something tragic, something really scarring, something really life-changing happened with Mark. And we hadn't gotten that closure. Like that was very much just left with these like really tattered ends. We had no idea that relationship just seemingly ended, but we didn't really get any info. We all kind of were going towards like rape and abuse. Yeah. I don't know that I got to pregnancy. Exactly. And so, wow. The fact that she had an abortion, we didn't really get to see Toby exactly react. It was just sort of like she kind of put it out there and it was left pretty cliffhangery. I have no doubt with happy Toby that he's not going to 100% have something supportive to say to her and find a way to get her back on an even keel with how she was. I mean, she had compartmentalized it to the point where she just hadn't thought about it in years until she saw that Mark photograph last season, you know? Yes. For some things that happen in your life, that is a perfectly fucking acceptable way to deal with. Absolutely. Once it's over and done with, let it be done. And that's where she was. And I think he would he'd probably support getting her back there if that's what she wanted to do. So do you expect that we will do some flashbacks and actually see how this went down? Or will this just be told in a now storyline with her sort of grappling with it? That's a, that's an excellent point. Why bring it up unless you're going to try to do something with it? It's been there the whole time. Why bring it up now? And then how is it going to impact the story? How will it impact Kate and Toby? Or how is it going to impact where we're going to watch these flashbacks? I mean, something we all know had to trigger her what we kind of all can kind of guess as to be really rapid weight gain because we've we've seen her in her really early 20s when she had gone out to be with Kevin do you remember this this yeah. is way back this is like the the 20 early early 20s and she's like a waitress this is this must be before Kevin hits it big but she is out in California so th- we're coming upon a transition here in that teenage timeline where she obviously is going to be pregnant. Now, whether she goes out to California to have and has the abortion out there and manages because she said she didn't tell her brothers or anything mm-hmm. and is a waitress and is like sort of supporting herself and all that. But but once she's a waitress out there, she's already gained a lot of weight. She looks very different. And it would have only happened in the course of a, a handful of years. Two. 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Right in there that she would have gained. I mean, I would say no less than 200 pounds. Right. Yeah. So so we know that tragedy strikes here. I really am curious of how they're going to play this out. You know, is she going to go out to California? Is she is she going to is that how she's going to try to hide it from Rebecca? Like, how will this all work? Are you curious about this storyline? Do they have you hooked? Not not exactly. No, I I'm more interested in how she might go about resolving how she wants to feel about it now that she's kind of dredged it back up 
and if she she's going to manage to uh, put it back away or if it's something that's going to inform how she acts now or that's a little more interesting to me, I guess, like. What what do you think? What do you want out of it? I mean, I think it will be a very specific storyline that they're telling because it will be this teenage, you know, not married abortion story that, you know, is coming from an abusive relationship. So there's certainly like a very specific storyline to tell there. And I think you're right, trying to express to whomever needs to hear this story, whether you're a parent of a teenager going through this or you're a teenager yourself or however you are, you know, a part of something like this, if they can show like, here's here's a healthy way that you could possibly handle this. That is something that, you know, we talked about in the last episode. The theme could be like, are you handling this in a healthy way? Or like, is this a healthy way to handle what's going on in your life? So if they can try to work it through a little bit and help Kate, maybe that will unlock her ability to get a handle on her weight because this is something that she's never dealt with. I know there's always Mm. been this talk that there was something in the contract that said that the actress would lose weight herself. I think that's bullshit. I always thought it was too. And I and I don't need her to lose weight in order for this to be anything. Like, don't get me wrong. But it was just the way that her her weight was always connected to something that she didn't seem to have the ability to to control whatever that little nugget was. You okay. know? Yeah. And and so if this is something that potentially, you know, allows us viewers or Kate the character to be able to unlock something about herself and she is able to kind of grow and change, then I think that that is an interesting story arc to to go through with her. It's an excellent point. That is excellent. <laughs> You're like over there, that is excellent. What about it? Tell me. What is striking you about what I said? Well, just because it, I mean, if everyone involved, including Chrissy Metz, agrees that somehow weight loss is an important thing, then it would have an actual meaning. You know, there are other stories out there in TV land that equate weight loss or thinness or whatever with with some measure of happiness or quality of life or or something like that and and the comparison is always you know fat equals sad and and bad and and skinny equals happy and good right so the idea of just arbitrarily being like well she can't finish her story arc whatever that is until she loses weight part was part of why it felt like bullshit that that would be Right. What quality writing. And please remember, please remember in the pilot. Do you remember in the pilot she was on a scale? She had the post-it notes on the food like do not eat this Kate. From the pilot, the story was about her trying to unlock what was the issue with her being able to get a handle on her weight. Now let's be clear because you did just say the line if you're thin, you're happy. If you're overweight, you're unhappy. Now, let's be really clear. They've done a good job in the show to show Madison, who is like saying, I almost died because I was so thin. So thin doesn't mean happy. And no one's confused about this on this podcast. But the, the story arc of her being, you know, a, just a, a pretty average looking kiddo at 18 and then a seeing her as a waitress being significantly heavier And so there's something about that moment in her life that if we can actually deal with it and it's something that she's never told anyone, then, you know, what could that mean for her character? How could they show that not just in her words, but in her physique? And is it worth it or not necessary? I don't know. Well, TV is a visual medium. They don't let us in their heads. They let us see what they do. So that is one thing that they could do to show us how she's feeling. Yeah. You might have just cracked this thing <laughs> well i'm i'm curious because we were kind of, remember that weight loss surgery was on the table for her at some point 
And the fact that we're all real worried about whether or not Kate is alive in our like most future scenes. Yeah. We again don't really know how her health, her physical health, like let's not just say like overweight, but like she also was feeling like she wasn't incredibly healthy during those times. Remember, there was a lot of concern when Toby was saying like, I could have a heart attack and all these things like when baby Jack was first born. Mm -hmm. So there was like a lot of health concerns revolving around carrying extra weight. And so... I wonder how any of this might play out. Like, what if she goes to some extreme or what if, you know, whatever happens? And I have no idea what that would look like on the screen. But if I was just writing a novel where I didn't have to worry about how it looked, but I just got to write the story, I could see where I might have her swing the pendulum too far the other way or something go awry in the pursuit of something being thinner or healthier or however you want to look at it. I think you got it. I think you got it. it. Makes me think of that Stephen King book, Thinner. Thinner, right? Yeah, where it's like you could want something, and then when you get it, better be careful what you wish for, kind of thing. Like maybe something bad will come with it. She better not piss off a gypsy. <laughs> Words to live by, Paul. <laughs> Let's move on over to Randall, who had a um, a comical storyline this go round. <laughs> Him and Malik. Oh, my goodness. These two together are their comedy gold, Paul. I love both of their deliveries. I love their little faces. The Gandal Gearson gout part. <laughs> so funny. So funny. What did you think about them pairing Malik and Randall together for a storyline? As a former, like, uh, boyfriend, um, I guess it would be a pretty scary day to, to go with my girlfriend's dad to work. But... Malik is a different kid than me. He's got big plans. He's got big ideas. And Were you surprised to hear those plans? A little, yeah. Me yeah. too. I mean, I guess they had always told us he wanted to be a chef. I mean, remember him doing his barbecue, cooking with Deja and stuff. And, and that's always been something that they've kind of, you know, just layered into his character that he had some talent. But when he actually said it all, I want to go to an Ivy League school and business school and then open my restaurant. And I mean, I was like, go Malik. Like I was like, clap my hands like you, you. <laughs> yeah. The part where he has a kid would be very complicating to, to, to do a lot of stuff. But that doesn't mean that he still shouldn't shoot for it and and then be told no for some other reason, right? Absolutely. So if he gets a yes, then then try to figure out if he can't do it. But I think it's better to aim high, right? That's that, was Randall's message, right? That's was what he's doing. Was don't don't aim low because of the baby. Aim high for the baby. You know, like do do more because of her. I'm going to give you the bullet points of like why I thought this story was clever. I loved that it provided a little ribbing of Deja. That was hilarious. I think that I have gone into your face and been like, don't talk to, don't talk about us. Don't say my name. Don't say anything. In fact, just don't say anything. I'm pretty sure I've said exactly those things. The moment where he was going to run the technology and he got distracted by the phone call about the baby I thought that that was very realistic that he would get sidetracked if something was wrong with the baby. Of course, he would be like, oh, my gosh, let me talk to you about this and was hysterical. Like, I loved that whole story point there. And then I thought it was really, really important, especially for any watchers out there who are around Malik's age, who are trying so hard and are really being undervalued by adults in their life because Randall's assumption was that he was like playing Candy Crush or something and he got distracted or that he was six minutes late 
And he was going to like, you know, dog on him about that. And when Malik actually laid it out and was like, let me try to explain to you all the things I do in my day and like why I do them and what time I'm up and like how hard I'm working. I feel like it was very humbling for Randall. That's so important because I think there's a lot of adults who if they had to walk through their kid's day and do everything that their kid did, they would be shocked at how much is being asked of of kids who are pretty young to handle the amount of responsibility that they do. Randall had very good like dad points with yeah. to Malik. Very cliche, stereotypical. Right. I assume you're just dicking around. And Malik held his ground in a very respectful, non-aggressive, but assertive. He he had good reasons. Really good point that again, if you if this was like a teenage watcher, I hope that they would also pick up on the fact that Last week we had Tess, Tess <laughs> trying to get her point across to adults and it didn't go well. When she started swearing and stuff, the message got lost. But here was Malik who was trying to get his point across to an adult and he stayed calm, but he just told the truth as it was. And, and I think that it was far more effective. So I hope some of our audience members would pick up on the difference there. No music video, no dancing, no nothing. All right, no that's nothing. not the point. I didn't think the music or the, or the dancing was the problem. It got into the swearing that they lost their message, unfortunately. Their message was great. They, they had to refine it, if you will. So tell me high points, low points of the Randall storyline. Would you like bullet point-wise? Well, your assessment that you could kind of see it coming was true. Yeah, it was really telegraphed, right? It was like, yes. Malik, can you do this? There's only one thing you have to do. It was very telegraphed. Right. You only have one job, Malik. Yeah, right. it was very clear. I have to like that Beth made fun of him when they got oh home. Oh, my God. That dance she was doing was fantastic. And I, I also like that even though it went viral, uh, neither Jaywan nor Randall were, you know, like upset exactly. They were embarrassed, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world to go viral. Jaywan pointed out it was a very flattering angle. <laughs> So, I mean, and I mean, really, the titles, uh, the headlines that were like on the television during it were like buff councilman and stuff like that. Like it wasn't like lewd, crass, you know, terrible councilman does this. It was like hot bod councilman. Like, you know, he didn't show he showed what you could see if he was at the swimming pool, but nothing else. You know, it certainly couldn't could have been much worse. Did you think it was clever? How they made the video go viral and we see the Vietnamese grandfather see the the video. I have two feelings on that. Yes, it was clever. It was organic because that's how viral videos work. They go everywhere. I guess the the counterpoint to that, I guess it makes sense that he only gave William a shout out, right? Right. Because this is his town. And he wouldn't have been had any interest in this town were it not for William. That makes sense. But, I mean, he didn't mention how he was actually raised at all. He only wanted to talk about William's influence on his life. Was there anything to that in the fact that, you know, he's sort of feeling bad about his, his white family right now? Or is it just more like, you know, these are my constituents. William would have been one, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't make sense to talk about them in this time when I'm thanking parents, dedicating things to parents, he doesn't mention that he has other parents. I did not pick up on the fact that he was thanking parents. What I thought I put together was that he was saying that he takes care of Philly because they're like his family 
because William was his family and this is where William lived. And they were like the relatives of William, if you will, because they were his family. And so therefore they were his family. And so he was going to take care of them as his family. I wasn't taking it like he was thinking parents. Okay. I said it wrong then. He was taking care of family. But he has a lot more family than than William. Well, but but he's speaking to his Philadelphia constituents. That's what I was asking. So, yeah, yeah. There's no. Why would you bring up people who don't live there? Right. Okay. Then that's all it is. It was hopefully very clear to every audience member exactly what was happening. Like I didn't think it was something that you had to really think hard about. What was happening? Randall is a councilman. He says William Hill's name. We see the Vietnamese grandfather. See it on viral video. The grandfather looks to the picture. The camera pans to the picture, right? Yeah. Of Laurel. the grandfather and Laurel. Right. And he looks back at the, at the at the computer. I mean, it's like dot, dot, dot. Like we know exactly what's going to happen and how now that Laurel's going to come back into the picture. The grandfather's clearly going to tell Laurel. You Are said you, you saying this? William Hill. Because there have been some really dumb theories well, out there in the world about who he is and who the woman is and, <laughs> and whether or not like Randall's therapist is like a time traveler or something. <laughs> I have seen some bullshit about how the therapist is probably his half brother or like all this. I have seen a lot of stuff. I'm not saying that any theory is dumb. Oh, but I will. <laughs> Let's say they're they're overly imaginative. But yeah, I am saying it because I think that sometimes, maybe because we have the benefit of watching the show several times before we talk about it. And I think some uh, most viewers probably watch it once and then go on to, you know, Facebook or whatever and then be like, so his mom is the Vietnamese grandmother? And you're like, no, his mom's Laurel. Like, I mean, <laughs> they say all kinds of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that to me, the storylines right now are pretty straightforward. I don't think there's like a huge amount of trying to figure out who did what to who. Like, I think we know, you know, Kate's talking about Mark when she's talking about the pregnancy. We think we know that, you know, the Vietnamese grandfather's looking at Laurel. And in case anyone is unsure, the creator Fogelman said the woman in the photograph is Laurel. Everyone who's out there thinking she's someone else, trying to make up another person in the storyline, she's definitely Laurel, his mom. So it's not overly confusing. No, is it's, that it's fair? It's being told deliberately. There's deliberately nothing is a good way to say it. Yeah. Hidden from us right now. Right. I think deliberately I could go with that. That the, the structure of the stories right now, the way that they're paralleling baby Kevin, teenage Kevin, now Kevin to the where he really is now in his personal life with Madison now, the the storyline with dealing with the abortion of her past with Kate to now Ellie's making a different choice at this point in her life and how it's going to affect Kate now. Randall's storyline, I mean, I, to me, to me, it just feels like it's like a flower blossoming in front of us, but it's not like, oh my God, when the flower opens, is there going to be like an alien that comes out? Like, no, I, I think it's just unfolding in front of us. I don't I don't think anything wildly crazy is going to happen. I think it's just kind of revealing itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when you say dumb theories, I feel like what you're saying is like like my flower analogy. It's like someone's like saying that like, you know, cousin it's going to come bashing out of the middle of the flower like some people have they're not. like like is it Felicia Rashad's sister that would make Beth and Randall family. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what it is, folks. Uh, 52 minutes.
Okay. I feel pretty done. You feel pretty good? Yeah. I think this was a good episode. I think that people are going to feel, you know, satisfied that there was a lot of good information that was given. And I'm really glad, actually, that we went to that Mark storyline, even though it's a painful one. That's not one that was was a fun ride when we were dealing with Mark and all of his bullshit with Kate. I mean, that was not pleasant um, at all. But I'm glad that we're going back to it because it never felt finished. It it always felt like there's no way that it just ended. That's how we felt when we saw it. That, yeah, that, I was like, all he ended up doing was locking her out. I mean, not that that wasn't heinous because it absolutely was, but it didn't make sense. Like there had to have been more and we just didn't see it yet. But, but we had gotten so far past it, I kind of not forgot about it, but I I don't know. I wasn't sure if it was over. Yeah, you're right. I we love we, to hate the Mark storyline. In the moment when when we saw him go, I think if we listened to that old podcast, we would have said something like, "We're not done with him yet." Didn't feel like we were done. I think you were right when you were saying earlier that we will that we will have to go through some of these steps at least with teenage Kate. Just having her tell us about it won't have been enough for us to know what she went through. I think it won't do the character justice to understand or the people that 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 storyline is supposed to be representing justice if they just gloss over it. You know, I think that there's a part to it that would be it's it's important to understand how it is now. And here's the thing that I really want to add this like really extra big layer. Whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, I feel like that the series incorporates everybody. It's the This Is Us storyline, right? So I am hoping that there is a way that Kate's storyline also includes something where she meets other people who did have an abortion and it was the best thing for them and they're happy with their decision and they don't have lifetime worth of pain and agony. Because otherwise, you're kind of telling a really one-sided part to the story where you're kind of saying like anyone who ever gets an abortion is going to be traumatically affected for the rest of their life in a way that is going to be so detrimental to them. Do you know what I'm saying? That That is yes. very – I would want to proceed with caution because I don't know that that's very fair either. These are all just choices and I hope that they handle it that way. I really hope that Kate has other people that come into the storyline that it wasn't – it was a choice for them that they were happy they made. Or – that this process would help reframe that event for her, where right. I think it's a positive thing that she doesn't have a person that connects her to Mark that, that would require dealing with him. Yeah, really good point. As far as characters, I mean, I mean when you're talking about real people, that's a different kind of No, but thing, you're but... right. But that was an abusive relationship, and you know, she, she, she would have been a bad idea for her to try to stay with him or anything like that. There's a lot to unpack here with the Kate storyline that I'm interested to see how they do it thoughtfully as This Is Us always attempts to. And I'll be interested to see what the audience reaction is to it. If they feel like, are they pushing a really pro-choice or pro-life agenda here? Or what, are, what exactly are we seeing? And will both sides be represented in a way that people feel content with how the story is told? Time will tell. Yeah. Look forward to next week. This is Caroline. This is Paul. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.